Hey there, friends, and welcome to episode 201 of Just the Zoo of Us. This week, I'm joined by an ecologist with a palpable love for the powdered donuts of the sky, hoary bats. We discuss frosted tips, tree roosters, bat memes, and why you should care about bats all year long and not just for Halloween. If you haven't fallen in love with bats yet, I think you will by the time we're done. Just the Zoo of Us presents Hoary Bats with Sofiane Nasser. friends, this is Ellen Weatherford. I'm here with Just the Zoo of Us, your favorite animal review podcast. And this week, I'm so excited to bring to you a dear friend who I'm very surprised that this is our first time talking. This is Sophie-Ann Nasser. Say hi, Sophie-Ann. Hi, everyone. Sophie-Ann, what are your pronouns real quick? My pronouns are she, her. Thank you so much. I'm so excited to talk to you because I feel like we've been friends forever for friends that are also new to you and new to your voice, I would love it if you could introduce us a little bit. Let us know, uh, you know, about your work that you do with animals and how you got into it. Yeah. So right now I am currently working for a unnamed government organization. It may or may not involve fish, wildlife and parks. And so I'm currently working on aquatic invasive species outreach and education, which is a little bit like away from what I was doing for the past few years, which was just doing science communication with bats and feral cats. And that mostly was on Twitter, RIP Twitter. Um, <laughs> uh, gone but never forgotten. We had some gone good but times. Never forgotten. <laughs> yes, exactly. That's actually how I first kind of rekindled my love for bats. I've always been a big fan of bats. When I was a kid, we had a ton of bats in my neighborhood. And one of the favorite things about summer would be watching the bats emerge and come out and catch all the bugs and just kind of getting to watch them go about their night. And over time, you know, I got away from that side. I went more towards um, aquatic invertebrates. Once quarantine hit, I needed something to do, just like everybody else in the world. Um, Relatable. Yeah, right. So I went on to Twitter and I kind of just discovered the science side of Twitter. At first, I, I fell in with shark Twitter. You know, those are a bunch of cool people, but it was bat Twitter that really stuck with me. And I just found out about hoary bats and that was that was it. I was just hooked. And that's now what I what my passion is. I can totally see what you see in bats. I think sometimes people only think about them around Halloween time, right? Like as if they just spawn into existence in October and then disappear for the rest of the year. <laughs> but you got to like watch them like as a child and like were, were were you just like an animal kid in general or was it like the bats were really like the the star of the show? Oh, I was such an animal kid. I was also severely allergic to like every animal. So oh. I really loved animals, but I couldn't really have them or I couldn't have a ton of them. My mom and I would foster feral cats a lot, but I really, really wanted a dog, of course. Um, so I'd go around and steal the neighbor's dogs and, <laughs> you know, look at bugs and whatever I could find in, in a, you know, Metro Denver backyard. So I didn't get to see a lot of the like, you know, some of the cool fauna that, you know, I'm seeing now living a little more rurally, you know, no porcupines or deer or anything. But I did get pretty attached to the city raccoons and the roly polies and, of course, bats. And, um, yeah, you know, October is Bat Appreciation Month and it's definitely when we think about them most and it's when I go and buy all of my, you know, bat merch from all of the big stores. But honestly, I always think of them as like a, a start of summer animal um, because you really start to see them when it starts getting warm and the bugs start coming out and yeah, they've always kind of been a summery animal to me. I like that association because 
that feels like a time when like especially in childhood summertime you associate with freedom and just like having all the time in the world to do whatever you want and have fun and really kind of like experience the joy of childhood and that's kind of what bats feel like too right like they're just flying free and it feels like that really kind of captures that the same like joy of a childhood summer (laughs) yeah I mean that's such a good point and I I hadn't actually thought about that that way before but yeah I mean bats are just kind of this beautiful little creature that's up there in the sky and they're just you know tumbling around and chasing bugs and I always imagine them in the dusk of a summer night and just flying over the rooftops and having a ball just eating all the mosquitoes and all the moths and everything that's come out to bite us and bother us and whatever else and just kind of cleaning up for us. I did want to circle back a little bit, though, to what you mentioned that your work is on educating people about invasive species, especially like aquatic species, and, you know, the relationship between bats and cats. What about that sort of like ecological relationship brought you to it? I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that pretty much from the time where I can remember, I was working with feral cats. Um, My mom was really active in socializing feral kittens and um, getting feral cats adopted. That's how we came across a lot of our cats was that, you know, the ones that didn't get adopted just ended up staying. The cat distribution system. It works. It always works. (laughs) (laughs) As I got older and more involved in science and kind of started looking at ecosystems and how you know, our domestic animals impact those ecosystems. You know, I kind of came to a realization that some of what I learned with feral cats was at odds with what I know about the ecosystem and what I know about invasive species. We were pretty heavily involved in trap-neuter return, which is good from the perspective that it limits how many new feral cats are being produced from within a colony. But it's not great in terms of uh, minimizing ecosystem harm because ultimately you're still putting cats back out. And that's also not great for the cats either. Living outside is not really great for them. (laughs) They're not designed to, to live outdoors. They are domestic. There's so many things out there that are just threats to them. I mean, there's mm-hmm. there's so many ways that they can die outside. And personally, I mean, there's enough ways that they can die inside. Like, I'm already paranoid about, you know, my cats and what they could get into. I can't even imagine, like, them outside on their own. Um, they just <laughs> don't have the brain cells. Um, <laughs> I've got my own and I love them to death, but there ain't nothing going on between those ears. <laughs> nope. Nope. My mom's cat is just like that. And he's not, we're just, we've decided that we're not even going to try the leash training thing or the catio. Mm. Like, I think it's just good if he's inside on the couch where nothing can hurt him. <laughs> I took mine outside on a leash and he immediately like ragdolled onto the ground and refused to budge. <laughs> Some cats are just not going to be interested. And, you know, that's Mm -hmm. fine. I mean, when it comes down to it, every cat's an individual. It's impossible to say that all cats need to go outside. It's impossible to say that all cats need to stay inside. There's always ways that we can go and give them outdoor enrichment without compromising either the ecosystems and the species that are living outside that are native or our cat's safety. Cat harnesses and leashes are a great way Catios are awesome. Cat fencing. I mean, even something as basic as just going outside and watching your cat and just making sure that they're in a fenced area that they can't, you know, escape from. And and the benefit is that you get to hang out with your cat more. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> what's not to love? There's no downsides. <laughs> I think that a lot of times when on the show, when we're talking about animals that maybe are introduced to an area and they're disrupting the ecosystem or they're causing harm there, I think that sometimes that can be perceived as like an antagonistic role, you know, a dislike for that animal because of like the context that it's in. But I think it's good that like you have come into this from the angle of it's out of a deep love for the cat. It's like, what's good for the cat, right? Like how can we have a healthier and more productive relationship with, with our babies? (laughs) Yeah. And, and that's just it. You know, when I first got onto science Twitter, one thing that caught me really off guard was how scientists would talk about cats. Sometimes we make jokes in science that aren't perceived well by people who are looking in from the outside. 
And it's easy to do, right? You get into this area where you're just focusing on your species. You're seeing it from this perspective of your species. You're not coming in from the other side. And with domestic animals like cats that are so charismatic, you have to come in from multiple perspectives because that's kind of when you get down to the core of the matter with feral cat management, it's going to be a multi-angle solution. So one of my, my biggest things with communicating on the feral cat issue is to come at both, you know, ecologists and cat advocates and find a common ground because otherwise nothing is getting done. And that's, I think I've made decent headway, um, at least on my little, you know, areas of Twitter where I'm encouraging people to think about alternatives to TNR, such as rehoming feral cats. It is something that's possible. It's certainly uh, a little more difficult than just, you know, going and adopting a cute, super social kitten from the shelter. Some cats, we like to refer to them as decorative cats. They're not really, you know, cats that you are going to cuddle and do a lot of stuff with, but they're going to be there. They're going to be around. And I personally, you know, get a lot of satisfaction just knowing that they're taken care of and safe. And It's like having a plant. Yeah, it's like a plant. It's just <laughs> you have it. There's life in the room. Yeah, you're taking care of something. You're making sure that a life is well lived. And, you know, I think that that's a good, a good accomplishment at the end of the day. <laughs> and it is companionship, just from a sort of respectful distance. <laughs> Personally, that's how I like all of my companionship, you know? There you just, go. <laughs> let's sit at the opposite end of the sofa and watch TV together. Parallel play. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> so for people who are listening who are like, okay, I love cats, but why should I care about bats? Because bats, I think, maybe are one of those animals. They get lumped in the spooky category. People might not see everything that there is to love about bats. And today we're talking about a specific bat that I have to admit, the first time I ever heard of them was through you. And I love when a person has like a really specific commitment to like a very specific animal. <laughs> and that is just like their brand. <laughs> like it's this sort it of is. like one specific, like the more obscure, the better, I think. <laughs> so since yes. I had I had only ever first heard of this animal from you, what better person to introduce us to the hoary bat? <laughs> What is this little guy? Hoary bats are, in my opinion, the best bat. Major hot take alert. Huge. It's a, it is a hot take. <laughs> um, I expect a lot of ats on Twitter and Instagram. I am ready. Bat Twitter, come for me. As the um, words came out of your mouth, my phone <laughs> burst into flames. It just exploded. <laughs> they all know this. Like, I have said it enough that at this point they're like, yep, Sofiane, that's Hori Bats, the best bat. We know. Um, but yeah, it is t it's totally my brand. I say, you know, if at the end of the day, you know, if all you learn from me is, hoary bats and nothing else you know what accomplished mission accomplished science communicated <laughs> yes <laughs> that is my purpose in this world is to let you know about this adorable little bat uh, that maybe you didn't know about before <laughs> so what what kind of bat is this it's a big bat or a little bat this is a little bat and i will preface this by saying i am going to be using the terms microbat and megabat during this the phylogeny folks are going to just sob <laughs> um, I'm so sorry, but I don't understand phylogeny enough for any sort of conversation about what you guys are researching. And so... Um, you will find no friction here. That's no, fine. Yeah, perfect. We're just going to... We're just going to come based at... based taxonomy. Yeah, we're just going to come at this from like the most basic phylogeny that they have for bats right now. So um, yeah, the hoary bat is a microbat. And so when we're talking about microbats, usually we're talking about insectivorous bats, Bats that have little eyes that, you know, echolocate, as opposed to megabats, which are, you know, the flying foxes, the fruit bats, you know, the bats that look like puppies um, that have those big eyes, tiny ears, the conventionally cute, kind of the starter bat. You know, if somebody comes up to me and says, oh, I'm, I'm scared of bats, I'm like, okay, we're going to start you off with the puppies. The gateway bat. The gateway bat. And then we'll like, we'll ease you into, you know, you're not going to show them the wrinkle-faced bat right off the bat. That's like an advanced bat. <laughs> it's an advanced bat. You have to already be heavily invested in bats. <laughs> the flying foxes are the ones that you see on Instagram wrapped up in the cute little towels. And they usually are like eating a grape. And you're yes. like, oh. 
There's no better propaganda than <laughs> the little flying fox wrapped up in its, you know, little adorable fleece blanket, eating, you know, a grape or some watermelon, just munching away in a rehab. Yeah, it's it's awesome. Incredibly effective. It has worked on me tremendously. So effective. <laughs> <laughs> but this is not that. So, so, this is so crumple them up, throw them in the trash. Yeah, this is better. So hoary bats, and this is spelled H-O-A-R-Y, just for clarification. Is that a word? I've never heard that word anywhere else. It describes a color. So hoary means grayish white or frost covered. Oh. And that is going to come into play. Um, I will certainly expand upon it in aesthetics. Oh, good. (laughs) I'm hearing sea crest frosted tips. We got frosted tips all (laughs) over the place here. There's a reason that this bat is also nicknamed the Sky Fieri. No. (laughs) We got a lot of nicknames. That one, I think, is one of the best. (laughs) I have to change the title of the episode now. (laughs) Excellent. So to get to the, like, official Latin name, and please, uh, if I do say this wrong, do not tell me. Words are made up. So <laughs> none of it's real. So um, this is the Lacerius scenarius. Nailed it. I'm, you absolutely got 100% right. I'm going to say yeah. I nailed that. So Lacerius, it means hairy tail in Latin. And then scenarius is grayish or ash. Um, so basically their name means ash hairy tail, which is quite apt. If you once you get a look at them, uh, you will understand. <laughs> Not the most glamorous name. It's not. Again, that's why we have a lot of a lot of nicknames to choose from. But they are part of that Lacerius genus, and that is with the other hairy-tailed bats. Um, so that includes bats like the eastern red bat, uh, the northern yellow bat, uh, and then the Seminole bat. And all of those, what they have in common is that you know not only are they all those micro bats that eat insects, but they all have really hairy tails. And we will dive into that in effectiveness, but I do have to do a few more like logistical facts about them, including one that I got from animaldiversity.org, who we love on the show. Love them. Big fans. <laughs> and they described the body of a hoary bat as being about the size of a fat mouse. Now. And I thought that that was delightful. <laughs> <laughs> Because it is very true. If you see a fat mouse and you see a hoary bat, that is pretty much it. It's a, you know, 20 to 35 grams of just fat little mouse body. And people have that whole, you know, flying rodent thing about bats. They're not, but they are very cute. And so are mice. I suppose that is a good thing to mention because I hadn't really considered that like a lot of people do, I think, assume that maybe bats are rodents or related to rodents. I don't think I've thought to say before that they're not at all. I've had a few questions about it. I prefer those questions to, you know, the ones that are like, are they birds? Um, They're not birds either. <laughs> you tell that to, what is it? What was it? New Zealand that put the bat on their like bird of the, what was it like? Oh, yes. Bird, bird of, of the, the year. year. Um, yeah. I was actually very supportive of that. Um, That was the one time where I'm like, yeah, bats are birds. That's fine. <laughs> <laughs> It did bring a lot of awareness to a couple of New Zealand's uh, bat species who are Mm. super cool. So they are not birds. They are not mice. They are not any type of rodent. Um, They are their whole other thing. So their body length is about 13 to 15 centimeters, which is about five to six inches. And then they have a wingspan of 43 centimeters, which is 17 inches. So pretty, pretty sizable wingspan considering how tiny their bodies are. And that tends to be the pattern with bats. I think that a lot of people see bats up in the sky um, and think that they're a lot bigger than they actually are. Once you see a bat up close, I think that that's the only way to know just how tiny they really are. I've seen um, skeletons of bats. Yeah. And like in museums and stuff, you'll see a skeleton of a bat. And then when you see the skeleton, you can see, first of all, how much of that, what looks like body mass is really just like the the membrane, right? Like the skin on the wings. You're like, oh, that's nothing. (laughs) But also like (laughs) how just teeny tiny little toothpicks their bones are. They are so like, I mean, just so fragile. Um, The first time I held a bat, I was taking a rehabber course at the Bat World Sanctuary in Texas. 
and um, they just handed me this tiny little baby. Um, I think he was an evening bat. And I was just like, what do I even do with this? This is like the size of like half of my finger. Um, they're just tiny. And I think that if people could see them up close more and not, you know, the kind of these erratically flying things in the sky, I think that that would kind of take away some of the fear because they do. They look a lot bigger with their wings extended and then they kind of have that weird erratic motion to them when they fly. And that's just because they're chasing bugs and bugs are also erratic. They don't have that elegant glide that like yeah. birds have. Exactly. It's a lot more chaotic and frantic. <laughs> it is. And I love that energy. The frantic flapping paired with the constant screaming yes. is so <laughs> deeply relatable. <laughs> it's it's like, yeah, same. I get it. Absolutely. That's, I mean, don't we all want to just be flapping and screaming all the time? I am in here, babe. <laughs> <laughs> That's all that's going on in here up in this noggin. It's yep. just flapping and screaming. That's all. <laughs> Where is this bat found? Excellent question. So um, they're the most widespread bat in North America. They range from Southwest Canada to Argentina. And sometimes there's stragglers that end up weird places. I think one made it to Greenland and Ireland and all these different places where, you know, the wind just takes them and they just become tourists. But yeah, and they're also the only extant bat species in Hawaii. So um, wow. the hoary bat subspecies, which is called the um, Opeapea, is the only bat that is still living on the Hawaiian islands. And they generally prefer to live in uh, coniferous and deciduous forests, um, especially the Pacific Northwest. Oh, I can't wait. I'm going to see them. I'm for <laughs> sure going to go out and find them. <laughs> oh, I'm so jealous of you. <laughs> that kind of leads me to, to ask something that I maybe should have asked earlier, but I'm doing it now. Why do you love this bat so much? Why this one? What has piqued your interest about this specific bat? You know, I could talk about them forever, um, <laughs> and I'm going to on your podcast. <laughs> the first thing that drew me in was just their looks. Mm. I think that that can kind of clue you in on what rating I'm going to give them for aesthetics. <laughs> I mean, they are such a unique looking bat and they're not what I pictured bats as looking at. I mean, mm -hmm. I just have never seen whatever I imagined bats to look like. It ain't this. It was not hoary bats. <laughs> <laughs> um, they don't look like the, the bats that you get at the Halloween shop. They don't look, I mean, they're just an incredible bat to look at and not only that, but when you start to learn more about them and see, like, you know, the things that they accomplish at this, you know, I mean, they're, what, 20 grams? And the things that they can accomplish, like flying out to Hawaii to become the only bat species in Hawaii, it's like, how on earth are you accomplishing this? And packing so much into such a little body, like, yes. just densely concentrated <laughs> awesome. Like, yes. And their personality totally matches that. Like, oh talking to the you know the bat scientists they'll be like oh yeah when you get a hoary bat in the mist net you always know because what? you know they like to hiss a little bit when they're like a little upset same um which also same. me too yes. yeah right it's like relatable slight um, inconvenience <laughs> <laughs> exactly yeah they're just they're just like why are you touching me? Why am I here? And then they're like, oh, but you actually have really warm hands. So maybe I'm just going to nap here for a little while. <laughs> I've made a 180 on my feelings about the situation. Right. My mind has changed. <laughs> exactly. So since you mentioned once you really get into this bat and you learn like what they're capable of and what kind of stuff they're doing, let's do that. Let's learn let's about them. <laughs> if this is your first time listening to this show, what we do is rate animals out of 10 in different categories, the first of which is effectiveness, things built into their body, things about them, just the way that they are, that let them thrive and survive and accomplish the things they're trying to do. What do you give hoary bats out of 10 for effectiveness? Uh, so to the surprise of absolutely nobody, I'm going <laughs> to give them a 10 out of 10 right off the bat. I think that they're super effective in doing it what it is that they need to do, which is just be a, a good little bat. You know, they're not complicated. They're not having to solve puzzles like we do or do anything. They're just hanging out there trying to get their little bat lives lived. Looking for eat bug. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so for effectiveness, I do actually have a rationale behind this, though. So Please. I will start, it, start in on that now. <laughs> the floor is yours. 
Perfect. So um, first things first, echolocation. Cory bats use true laryngeal echolocation to hunt their prey at night. So that's when, you know, predators are fewer, the insects are more plentiful. And so that is props to them for figuring that little niche out. What does laryngeal mean? True laryngeal echolocation means that they're making clicks that are coming from their larynx. Um, and so the larynx is part of the throat. And that is different than some of the megabats who don't have true echolocation, but sometimes they'll kind of fudge it a little bit by making <laughs> it um, making clicks with their wings or with their <gasps> tongues. Whoa. Yeah, so they can get by, but usually they don't really need to echolocate because things like flowers and fruit trees don't really move a lot. Oh, where are you going? <laughs> yeah. What are you hunting? Nothing. So they instead just kind of rely on their, you know, they have those big puppy eyes and they can see really well through those. And so they just kind of use vision to kind of locate where wherever their food is, wherever they need to be next. <laughs> Mom said we got echolocation at the house. <laughs> <laughs> and then it turns out to be wing flapping. <laughs> The echolocation at the house. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so when they're out hunting, usually they target large insects, so like moths and beetles. And for that, they have pretty large teeth. And that's because they're large bats. They're one of the larger species that we have in North America. And that's just kind of the most energy effective way to feed themselves, right? I mean, they do eat some mosquitoes if, they're, if the mosquitoes are particularly plentiful that night. But otherwise, they prefer to get kind of the most bang for their buck, which if you've been listening to Just the Zoo of Us for a while, you've probably noticed that trend in ecology where the least amount of energy expended to get the most back. I did have like, you know, a Google image tab open with just pictures of hoary bats. And in some of these pictures, they are really bearing those teeth. <laughs> and those are some monster chompers. They got the chompers. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and um, again, that's that hissing thing. Um, so when they're being caught by these researchers in mist nets and when their pictures are being taken a lot of the time, they're just hissing and like baring their teeth and ready to fight. Um, Seems very easy to give them a dental exam. Yeah, honestly, it's like, yeah, <laughs> that's a great point. <laughs> like they're just right there. They're like, yes, look at all of my teeth. See the back molars too? <laughs> they have those like long, sharp, needly teeth that you see in like like cats, you know, we were yes. talking about cats. They have sort of similar, like, long pointy teeth. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's not like canine, you know, teeth or anything like that. It's very much uh, needle pointed, very tiny, sharp teeth. Which you see in like sharks or in other sorts of like animals that live in the ocean because they're really great for like trapping things that move quickly, right? You can kind of yes. like slice down into something that is, which I mean, what else is moving more quickly and erratically than bugs flying through the air? Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And they're so effective with catching those bugs that they can eat up to 40% of their body weight in a single meal, which for the people equivalent is like if a 150 pound person ate 60 pounds of food in one meal. So they're very good at what they do. And they'll eat on the wing. So while they're flying, they'll eat um, so they don't have to stop in between, you know, catching bugs. And then they also use their tails as nets to like kind of catch insects. Really? If you go onto YouTube and search hoary bat flying, catching insects, I don't know. Watch all the hoary bat videos. You won't go wrong. <laughs> Zero misses. No skips on this one. No skips. <laughs> they have some beautiful acrobatics um, where they're just like tumbling over themselves and just scooping up that insect um, and just trapping it in that tail. And um, that's actually my next like focus for effectiveness is their tail because it is tremendous. You mentioned it's hairy. It's hairy. And so... We affectionately call it the butt blanket um, <laughs> because it is. It's this extra large, like densely furred tail, and it allows them to stay really warm um, mm -hmm. when they wrap it around themselves. So they basically, it's kind of like a sleeping bag. They'll roost where they have just one little foot hanging out and grabbing onto a stick or a branch or a tree trunk. And then everything else, they'll just wrap this tail around themselves and... Oh. Um, 
it not only helps them camouflage, hoary bats are pretty unique when it comes to micro bats because they are solitary tree roosters. So instead of, you know, the traditional like bat cave kind of vibe, they're actually out there on, you know, pine trees, in tree cavities, kind of just these solitary areas that they can find that are, you know, a good amount of foliage protecting them from predators and wind and the elements. And then they'll just kind of blend in. The coloration of their fur, that hoary coloration, is amazing camouflage. And they can just blend right into the tree trunk. And then again, that fur is just critical for keeping them warm. And Oh, apparently some of the rehabbers actually were telling me that some bats seem to have favorite foots that stay out. No, (laughs) that's very cute. Yeah, it's like, you know, how we all have a favorite side of the bed and maybe we stick one foot out over the other when we get too hot under the covers. That's what they do. This is so relatable. Like so many (laughs) things about this bat are like, man, same. Like I think maybe in another life. Right? Like, if we could all be that lucky. It's like literally me. <laughs> um, and then the final points that I give them for effectiveness um, are going to be reproduction. Really? Yes. So, hoary bats don't live as long as some other bats do. Um, so, the longest known living bat that we've had captured was a myotis specimen in Siberia, um, who they recaptured 41 years after their initial capture. So this bat was at least 41 years old. That's ancient. Ancient, right? (laughs) Especially for such a small mammal. Yeah, the little guys don't usually last that long. Yeah, like mice, you know, it's a matter of a couple years. That's like to the point that if that had been me like doing, I would be like, surely this is a testing error. Like, surely this is user error. Like, I've done something wrong. There's no way. (laughs) I know. Well, and, you know, we see fruit bats that are, you know, living in captivity or at some of the, you know, sanctuaries and rehabs all over the world. They're really old, too. But hoary bats are not one of those long-lived species. They usually live between six to eight years and usually less in captivity. We're not quite sure why. But to make up for that, they have multiple pups at a time. So they average twins, but have been documented to have up to quadruplets. And so in order to, you know, support all of these babies, they have four nipples instead of just two, like most bats. I love efficiency. Love the efficiency, (laughs) right? (laughs) You can feed all of them at once. I love this. Exactly. So the eastern red bat, which is another one in their genus, they also tend to have these multiple pups per litter, um, but they have even more on average. So they average triplets, but they can have up to five. And this actually is kind of a disadvantage for them because each baby can get up to like a third of the mom's body weight before she's done with them. And they all just hang off of her. So if you can imagine it's too heavy. having... <laughs> up to five toddlers hanging off of you at all times. Um, Not great for when you're like a flying aerial animal that is kind of prone to maybe falling out of trees occasionally. It's already annoying enough just being on the ground. Just like base level, that's already (laughs) annoying. But you add also like, you're going to literally drag me to my death on top of that. (laughs) And unfortunately, that is what happens is that, you know, if they're knocked out of the tree from like high winds or a storm, they can't actually get back up into the tree because they're so cumbersome with their babies. And bats, unlike birds, they can't actually take off from the ground, or at least most bats can't. And so eastern red bats will be really vulnerable to terrestrial predators like snakes and dogs and cats and people. So, you know, a lot of bats that go into rehab, especially eastern red bats with pups, are the ones that have become grounded um, and have luckily been found by somebody who was able to get them help. Hoary bats still get grounded, but I think it happens to a lesser extent. I think they've found the right balance between number of babies and, like, risk of being grounded. (laughs) Yeah, we were were talking about this just a couple episodes ago with, like, litter size often having to be limited by, like, how many babies can you actually realistically support? You can't just have unlimited babies. And I'm so charmed that they're called pups. Isn't it lovely? 
lovely. <laughs> the little bats are called pups is very charming to me. But like, you can't just have unlimited pups, right? Because for well, for a lot of animals, it's like I can't feed this many. This is too many. I can't you mm-hmm. know provide for them. But for them, they're like, you are literally too heavy. <laughs> There's too much biomass of baby. <laughs> yeah, and I strongly recommend to people who are not driving or doing anything that requires their <laughs> attention, just go and Google Eastern red bat babies because like the first image that comes up is going to be a mom who is clearly struggling (laughs) she has like a baby's like foot in her eye and like there's just a lot going on (laughs) a single mom who works two jobs song yep just for them (laughs) (laughs) that was actually about bats not a lot of people know that no you didn't know that not a lot of people know that Reba McIntyre was actually a huge bat uh, enthusiast. I thought it was amazing. We love representation. <laughs> <laughs> it was well overdue. You know, when I'm looking at pictures of these hoary bats, you know what's really stealing the show for me, though? Hmm. It's the ears. I mean, that's Those like ears. That's like 70% of the animal right there. Like, I feel like because they're so fluffy, I feel like if they got wet, it would be just like all ears. <laughs> like, you wouldn't even be able to see them past the ears. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Yeah, that's probably so true. And like, you know, microbats tend to have bigger ears than like megabats. So when you look at a flying fox or, you know, a fruit bat, they're usually going to have smaller ears than most of the microbats. And compared to how big some of the microbat ears can get, hoary bats definitely don't have the biggest, but they are absolutely adorable. They're so round and just like, oh, they're perfect. Hey there, we're going to take a quick break to hear from a couple of the other shows on the Maximum Fun Network. When we get back, we're talking ingenuity and aesthetics for hoary bats. So stay with us. Hi, everyone. I'm Lara House. And I'm Annabelle Gerwich. And sometimes it feels like the whole world is a dumpster fire. Right? There's too much to worry about. That's why we make Tiny Victories. It's a 15-minute podcast where we celebrate our minor accomplishments and fleeting joys. And listeners call in, like Valerie, who found the perfect gift for her daughter's boyfriend, and Adam, who finally turned his couch cushion the right way. And little happinesses, like how birdsong helps your brain. That's science. So join us in not freaking out for 15 minutes a week. That's Tiny Victories with Annabelle and Laura, Mondays on Maximum Fun. Woo! It's a tiny victory just to make a network promo. Honestly. Are you tired of being picked on for only wanting to talk about your cat at parties? Do you feel as though your friends don't understand the depth of love you have for your guinea pig? around a room of people do you wonder if they know sloths only have to eat one leaf a month have you ever dumped someone for saying they're just not an animal person us too she's alexis b preston she's ella mcleod and we host comfort creatures the show where you can't talk about your pets too much animal trivia is our love language and dragons are just as real as dinosaurs tune into comfort creatures every thursday on maximum fun The next category that we rate our animals on is ingenuity, which are things that they're doing with their body to solve problems that they face. What do you give hoary bats out of 10 for ingenuity? So this physically pains me. I want you to know that before I say this. (sighs) This isn't sounding good. (laughs) I am going to give them an 8 out of 10. You built that up like it was going to be so bad. (laughs) Ellen, it is. To me, this is like, this is horrible. Because they they still have ingenuity. It's just not, it's not as like ingenious as some of the other bats maybe we're grading on a curve here yeah exactly like if you go and listen to the episode that nate with give bats a break did with you um i think that was episode like 123 vampire bats are like mind-blowing yeah and like they have such complex like social patterns and you know they have that blood sharing behavior hoary bats don't have that uh they are solitary which is both good and bad. So I docked them the point because they lack that complex social behavior. But they also, so being solitary tree roosters, um, they haven't been hit by white nose syndrome. I just want to say, you said solitary tree rooster, which just that taking it out of context would make a fantastic cryptid. That is amazing. That's a tattoo <laughs> idea right there. The solitary, the very rare uh, solitary tree rooster. <laughs> it's amazing. Anyway, sorry. <laughs> um, no, I love that. Um, 
So for those who might not know, white nose syndrome is an invasive fungus and it thrives in cold. So it'll grow on the noses of hibernating bats and disturb their hibernation. So they'll wake up prematurely. And when they wake up, they are waking up in the middle of winter when there's no food. Um, there's probably limited to no water. And so oftentimes they will starve to death or die of dehydration. So it's not the fungus itself that kills them, but it's the result of the fungus. Oh, interesting. This has spread from, it came over from Europe through cavers, and then it's just spread. It's pretty much all over the eastern U.S., um, and it's spreading westward. But so far, there have been no documented cases of hoary bat fatalities. We're not sure if it's if they're immune or if they've just avoided it through their lifestyle, but it, so far, it's working for them. <laughs> is this something that in other bats is being like passed through those like cave roosting sort of colonies? Yeah. So once white nose syndrome is introduced to a cave, and that can be either through uh, recreational cavers or even one infected bat going to another colony, it can spread throughout that cave. So once one gets it, it's pretty much a lot of them in the colony are going to get it. And that's why it's been so devastating is it's just decimated these bat populations because a lot of these microbats roost in these really dense populations within caves. And so it just hits them all at once. Whereas hoary bats being solitary, um, you know, they're kind of doing the social distancing, right? <laughs> um, they had it built in. They were so ready. They were so ready. They're like, oh, pandemic, no problem. Couldn't be we're, me. We're out. <laughs> <laughs> I would never. <laughs> right? <laughs> they had Zoom way before we did. They were already they were working already from home. Ready. Yeah, so prepared for this. <laughs> <laughs> but they do actually, they do come together during certain times of the year for mating. So typically what they do is they'll have a southern migration during the fall. So females and males will come together at this point in the fall. They'll meet up and they'll migrate south together. And somewhere during that time, mating occurs. Nobody's ever witnessed it, so nobody actually knows how it goes down. But they'll cover, I mean, thousands of miles. And, you know, their wings are built for that. They have long, narrow wings that are kind of built for distance and speed. Uh, not really agility, but they got distance and speed down. <laughs> You see this in sort of like these big soaring birds, like, yes. like seabirds and stuff that are made to like soar over long distances. Yeah, exactly. So they don't have the like the agility that some bats like um, you'll see these tiny little bats uh, rushing around and going in and out of trees. Hoary bats are going to be hunting in open areas. And so that's why, you know, when they're flying on migrations, there can be a lot of fatalities when it comes to obstacles. And this is where I took that one other point. Even though it's not really their fault, it's it's humans' fault. They So the fall migrations have a really high mortality when it comes to high-rise buildings, radio towers, and wind farms. About 40% of all bats killed by wind turbines in the U.S. were hoary bats. So that's about 200,000 hoary bats per year that are killed out of the, you know, half a million fatalities of all bats. And so that's hitting them hard. I'll talk about that a little more when I get into conservation, but um, it's certainly something that researchers are concerned about and looking into as to how they can mitigate the effects of of some of these human-caused obstacles that they have. Yeah, because if this is an animal that's like not really navigating based on sight, you'd have to come up with some other way to let them know that, like, hey, there's a giant building here. Please don't fly into it. Right. And usually they can figure out where a building is. But some of the things, especially when it comes to wind farms, is they don't hit the wind turbine. It hits them. Right. So because it's moving, they can't predict that movement well enough to avoid it. Um, and so they just get hit and just tumble out of the sky from that. One of the ways that actual bat scientists who are researching these things, <laughs> um, one of the ways that they're looking into mitigating this is by asking, you know, wind farms to either turn the turbines off or turn them slower during that peak fall migration time or when, you know, winds aren't very high. So bats are probably going to be traveling more when wind isn't super high. And also, you know, that migration is the biggest time when a big population of hoary bats will be moving through. So even though this migration behavior that they have, even though that that's, you know, 
ingenuity points to them, it's also a drawback. Um, it gets them through the winter without having to hibernate, but it also puts them up against a lot of threats and a lot of them don't make it through that. But I do have one last thing for their ingenuity, and that is that they are super territorial and protective of their hunting grounds when whenever food is scarce. And so they will use social chirps to warn away other hoary bats. And these chirps are lower frequency because that lets them carry sound further. And they're so low that we can actually hear them. Oh, really? Yes. I've seen people with the bat radar. Is, yes. is it radar? I don't know what it is. There's a little machine you can use. There's a bunch of different ways that you can detect them. Um, one that plugs into your phone and is super cool is the echo meter. But yeah, there's a bunch of just little machines that can kind of detect the frequencies that bats have. And you can just go walking around at night um, and listening to all this bat chatter. And um, <laughs> it's amazing. Like once you actually realize how much they talk to each other and like yell at each other and yell at bugs, um, <laughs> it's like opening up a whole new world. It's really amazing. There's a book that I really enjoyed called Hollow Kingdom. It's a zombie apocalypse told from the perspective of a crow. Oh, um, that sounds amazing. And like in this book, it's like simultaneously a dark and beautiful and f hilarious book. And in a lot of it, the way that like information is disseminated through the animal kingdom, the way that like animals and everything are like communicating uh, information with each other is basically through like bird song and like bat chatter, but it's analogous to like Twitter basically. <laughs> Oh my gosh, bat Twitter, <laughs> literal bat Twitter. <laughs> and I, I like to imagine that's what they're doing all night long and we just can't hear it because it's just a little too high for us. That's so amazing. That is exactly what I'm going to picture tonight now. <laughs> I wonder if they have like memes and like inside jokes and stuff that like we just don't know anything about. <laughs> yeah, oh, they absolutely do. They're like, this would be so funny if you were a bat. <laughs> yeah, and those social chirps are really cool because moms will use it to find their babies. So like oh, when moms good. go out and hunt, they'll leave their babies in the tree roost. And so when they come back, they're like trying to find these tiny little babies in trees and foliage. And so the, they'll put out a social call and the babies will call back and they can recognize their babies, like <gasps> their specific babies call. Oh. And they can also recognize if a pup gives a distress call, the mother recognizes that as a distress call and can go in and swoop them up if they've fallen or deal with whatever other problems baby bats have. But yeah, it's it's one of those amazing things that I, I think that bat vocalizations are one thing that if you have somebody who doesn't like bats, opening up the world to them of bat vocalizations and just like how much they talk to each other and how like specialized it is, I think that that's one thing that can really help to like make them a little more charismatic. They're having their own conversations that we're not even like privy to. Exactly. <laughs> what do they talk about? It's like, you know how they say bird watching goes both ways. I always feel like that whenever I have the bat monitor out and I'm just listening to them talk. I'm like, man, they probably do this to us all the time. Like when we go out <laughs> on our nighttime walks and do, you know, our nighttime gossip. You think the bats are like, you'll never guess who I saw. Amazing. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder what their uh, perspective on our life is like. You think they're like watching our lives like soap operas and stuff? Oh, absolutely. Did you guys see last week's episode of Sophie Ann? <laughs> My God, it was so boring. She all she did was just go around and type on this little weird thing, and like posted something called memes, and they aren't even as good as our memes. <laughs> it felt like filler to me. <laughs> it's that writer strike. It's so hard. <laughs> Well, okay. So since this is one way that we can kind of win people over to Team Bat, I think a great way to do that is just by getting people to look at how darn cute these things are. That like, is. if you could just look at them real quick, I think you'll see exactly what we're talking about. <laughs> but uh, the final category we rate animals on is aesthetics, which is just how nice they are to look at. Just asking purely as a formality, <laughs> uh, what do you give Lori Bats out of 10 for aesthetics? I mean, I have to give them a 10. 
10 out of 10 because I'm restricted by the bounds of like math <laughs> um, and I can't give them more. I would give them more if I could. Like I think that they are aesthetically perfect. I think that they're the cutest things I've ever seen in my life. The platonic ideal of a creature. Exactly. I mean, they just have those little, you know, those round ears. They have those little black eyes that are like button eyes. And then they have that rounded blunt nose. And they don't they don't have an intricate little nose leaf like some of the other bats, but they don't need one. The, the nose leaf can be off-putting. Yes, The exactly. nose leaf can be off-putting. <laughs> yep, yep. They're like, you know what? I'm going to keep it simple with this one. It looks like a little, it's got that upturned little piggy. Yeah, it's a little, it's piggy a little bit like a little bit of a piggy snout, but just like, oh, it's a great nose. And as you mentioned earlier, the tips are frosted. I mean, the fur is the most eye-catching part. And not only is it so functional, as we've learned, but it's also just gorgeous. It looks like you could sink into it. Yeah, exactly. And the hairs themselves are multicolored. So at the very base that's closest to the skin, it's going to be black. And then in the middle, it's yellow. And then it's going to be black again. And then it has little white tips. So they do have literally frosted tips. It looks like they've gone through quite a few phases with their hair. Yes. They're like, okay, we're going to dye a different color and see if that works out. Nope, I'm going to try this one now. And then we're going to grow it out and bleach it. Yes. And <laughs> <laughs> That's the perfect comparison. <laughs> Definitely going to remember that. And then they have that their face is framed by this beautiful, fluffy yellow mane, which is why we also call them the sky lion. I see that for sure. Right? For sure. For and sure. it's also, you know, the hissing and the roaring. <laughs> Kind of their whole general vibe. <laughs> their whole vibe. But, you know, the the nickname that we know them by the most is going to be the Sky Donut um, because they do. They look like a little powdered donut. I was thinking that it looked a little like they had had a, just a dusting of powdered sugar. Yeah, a little Sky Beignet. <laughs> a Sky Beignet. <laughs> that is exactly what they look like. Just a little round guy. Yep. And they just look so soft. And maybe this is like that uh, that cute aggression that sometimes people feel yes. when you see a kitten that's just so cute, you just want to eat it. You just want to yep. stuff it in your mouth. <laughs> yep. Oh, I can totally relate. I was lucky enough to meet Priscilla, who is one of the hoary bats at the Bat World Sanctuary. And I got to meet her. And of course, I absolutely cried. Oh. But she is so soft and so beautiful and like so tiny and I was just like oh I can't decide what I want to do like I want to just <laughs> pet you very gently and then I want to like be part of you and like can I shove you into my heart like <laughs> there <laughs> I want to just anamorph into this creature <laughs> exactly it's like oh they're just incredible to see I think that like I could see how some of the features on them could be quite polarizing for people who are maybe not already like there with yes. bats, like the tiny teeth, the the little yes. sharp pointy teeth, I could see them being a little bit like off-putting. So maybe you just want to look at a picture where they don't maybe have their mouth open. Yes. <laughs> there's there's one picture out there where they just have a little blep, a little bit of a tongue sticking out. <sighs> that's um, That's usually the intro picture that I use. That's good. You know, after we get them past flying foxes, then we go into the, you know, the hairy-tailed bats and their fluffiness. And then we can go into some of the more unusual ones. And, and then we end with the wrinkle-faced. You know what I'm getting from hoary bats? I'm getting French bulldog. Interesting. Because they have the little scrinkly nose. And then they have the like brindle color and then the giant ears. Like it's yep. all coming together in a, like in a very French bulldog sort of package. It's like if a French bulldog was crossed with a Great Pyrenees. I could. Oh, yeah, that's good. <laughs> Which would be a nightmare of a dog mix, but it works out really well for hoary bats. <laughs> they look like I just, like, I wish they were gigantic, you know? Like, I yes. wish they were huge so that you could just, like, fall into that fur. I had a dream once that instead of Godzilla, it was a Godzilla-sized hoary bat. That's not a problem. And instead of, like, destroying the city, it was just, like, Totoro vibes. There would be no conflict. It was amazing. And when I woke up, I almost cried because it was like, why is this not reality? <laughs> I'd be so sad. <laughs> I was so sad. I Look what we could have so had. <laughs> Get our top scientists on it. I know. We're talking about bringing back the woolly mammoth. And it's like, where are the people who are working on what matters? The important stuff, which is... <laughs> Totoro-sized 
hoary bat. <laughs> Make our littlest guys really big. Really big. <laughs> if not friend, why friend shaped? <laughs> and they are friend. That's the great thing about hoary bats is unlike grizzly bears, they're not going to try to eat you. I mean, please don't touch them and don't grab them and, you know leave that to the professionals but they are friend <laughs> based on all these pictures of them violently hissing at the camera i feel like they'd be mad if they heard you say that they'd be like they, um, we are not <laughs> yeah that's fair <laughs> to be entirely fair they were just caught in like a mist net so they're very confused and angry about that and ha having walked into a mist net myself it was a very unpleasant experience so i get it I feel like that's a very important like experience for you to have as somebody who works with like bats. Yes. You have to see it from their perspective, right? Like that should be like part of the training process. Like you know how they feel. I agree. I and I did find out I am spectacularly bad at seeing mist nets. So um that is something to keep in mind for future field work. <laughs> um but you know, once you once you warm them up with some like little mealworm, a uh, little mealworm smoothie, they're fine. You know, they're, their trust. they're in, they're like, okay, you know what? I'm a solitary rooster, but maybe we're okay. But you have bribed me. So you have, I mean, I'm the same way, right? Bring me a smoothie and I'm, we're okay. Quickest way to my heart is through my stomach. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I think an important thing when we think about animals that were kind of, okay, maybe we're rehabilitating the image of bats a little bit. But an important reason for that, not just because they're so cute, and not just because we like the way they look, but also because they have an important role in the ecosystem. And because they need our support, and they need our love. I would love it if you could get into conservation issues around the hoary bat, or even just bats in general. So I mean, bats in general are definitely having a hard time and COVID certainly has not made things any easier for them. Oh, I forgot about, there was a whole thing right at the beginning of COVID, wasn't there? Yes. I and all about that. Even still, like one of the number one questions I get when I'm talking about bats is like, oh, didn't they start COVID? And it's just, you know, it's been a lot of bad press for an animal that already is not very popular. And so I think, you know, just trying to show people what bats are really like and showing the diversity of bats. I mean, there's so many bat species. I think it's like 1400 or something now. I can't even keep track. <laughs> but it's just, I mean, to kind of paint over it with a broad brush and just say bats are bad or bats are gross or bats are scary. There's just, you can't do it. You know, there's just so much diversity and they do so much for us. Um, you know, they pollinate for us. They control pests. When we look at bats like the Mexican free-tailed bat, the amount of pest control that they do for our agriculture saves us millions. And so, you know, we can't understate the ways that bats affect us. I mean, they, they give us chocolate, which should be motivation enough. I, you have my full, any, I, I will give my last dollar. <laughs> Whatever <Exactly>. we can do. <laughs> we got to keep these babies afloat. <laughs> exactly. And when it comes to hoary bats, you know, the problem with hoary bats is because they are solitary, um, it's really hard to get an idea of what their population is like. So we don't actually know how many hoary bats there are. We can kind of estimate it by, you know, how many we detect in a year and then how many are, you know, found at fatalities at, you know, wind farms or, you know, high rise buildings. But there's really no easy way to check. People who study species that roost in caves, those population counts are comparatively easier because, you know, you can either count them as emergence. So when they come out, you can try your best to count them or at least make a, a good estimate of how many there are. Or you can go into the cave and, and see how many there are. But with hoary bats, there's just not that research there. And so that has kind of contributed to hoary bats being listed as least concerned, even though any bat researcher that you talk to will tell you hoary bats are definitely something to be concerned about because uh, I think the last research showed that their population is expected to decline by 50% by the year 2028. And by the year 2030, the wind energy efforts are expected to double. And so if we don't get on, you know, finding a way to mitigate that hoary bat wind farm conflict, hoary bats could be in a lot of trouble. 
And the Hawaiian subspecies, the Opeapea, it has been listed as endangered since 1970. They are certainly affected by wind turbines as well. They're also really affected by barbed wire and then invasive species like cats um, that have come to the island where there are, I don't think they had any terrestrial predators. Um, I could be wrong, but kind of like New Zealand, a lot of animals adapt to being in an island where there's no terrestrial predators and then suddenly something invasive is introduced and they struggle to maintain their populations. So the Opeapea at least has been, has been listed. Bat researchers are trying really hard to get hoary bats listed within uh, North America and hopefully that can provide a little more protection to them. And then of course they're also at, at risk due to the declining habitat and their foraging areas. Um, so logging areas being cleared for houses, um, anything that's decreasing you know forests that they rely on and then impeding those open areas that they rely on to hunt, that also affects them. And so some of the actions that we can take is to decrease the effects of logging, building hoary bat habitat where we're consciously thinking about, okay, do we have a forest and then do we have this open area that not only hoary bats, but all of the other animals that are part of that ecosystem that also need open foraging areas. So we want something that they can use. We want to also invest in population and migration research um, so that we can kind of figure out, okay, what population numbers do we have right now and what are we at risk of losing in the next few years? And then trying to get wind farms to not build in areas that are, you know, migration pathways, areas of high bat activity, or just to turn off or slow down the turbines when, you know, that fall migration is happening or when wind isn't really high and not a lot of energy is being produced. So there are ways that we can help. There's, you know, ways that just normal people who don't have, you know, the ear of a wind farm executive can help as well. I don't think we have a big uh, wind farm executive audience. <laughs> I know. Yeah, I'm I'm trying to expand that. I'm hoping I'm going to send it to a few people. They don't really show up on our Spotify demographics. <laughs> but, you know, basically just doing what I'm doing, which is being really enthusiastic about bats and talking about them to, you know, your friends and your family and your community. These are all things that are easy to do and just posting cute pictures of bats. I mean, I've had friends from non-bat world that have come in and been like, hey, Sofian, you know, I used to be super afraid of bats, but ever since you've started posting about bats, um, I've realized that they're really cute and they're really helpful. And I still don't want one in my house, but if I did have one in my house, I would call you. <laughs> they don't want to be in your house awesome. either. So, <laughs> Exactly. Like, would I love a bat roost in my house? Of course. Would that be good for any of us? No, it wouldn't. <laughs> dreams are dreams, you know? <laughs> I saw someone recently uh, leave in a in a review of this podcast. They described it as weaponizing the podcast and basically just becoming a menace to everybody around you by just being a constantly flowing faucet of yes. like animal information and animal facts. That could be you. That is exactly the goal. Let the bat facts flow freely. Yeah, I mean, that's who I am at my core. I have weaponized all of the animal facts that I get from you. And then I go out and spread the word about, you know, whatever weird animal fact I have. And then I sneak in after all of that once I get their attention with, you know, some hyenas or whatever else we got going on that week, um, like freshwater mussels. <laughs> Boy, that's some weird stuff, huh? <laughs> I love that you guys did that because I did field work recently looking for freshwater mussels. Um, and so they have been on my mind and then it popped up and I'm like, <gasps> a wild ride start to finish. <laughs> An absolute bonkers madhouse of a creature. <laughs> right. And you can just go out like that's the power that you have as an individual in the U.S. is to go out and talk about freshwater mussels and bats and all of these cool things that people won't think about otherwise and just be enthusiastic about it. Like I've noticed that when I'm trying to do science communication, just being enthusiastic about it and not being, you know, not being serious, not being super academic or, you know, just being enthusiastic and welcoming people into this world that we have. That's kind of the best thing that we can do is just make it fun for everybody. Find whatever place that they feel comfortable and and just 
bring them in. Let your love be contagious. Yes. <laughs> Make it everybody else's problem. Exactly. <laughs> Well, Sofian, if people are listening to this and they're like, I need a hub for uh, spewing bat facts, I need to connect with the bat lover community, where can people find you after listening to this? Because Hori Bats are my brand, my usernames on basically all of the social medias is honk if you're Hori. Could not be better. I know, Could right? Could not be better. <laughs> So that is honk, if, and then the letters U and R, and then Hori is in Hori Bat. I am on Instagram. I'm on TikTok. Um, I'm not on Facebook. I'm mostly on Twitter right now. If it dies, then I will be on Blue Sky or whatever else we've come up as an alternative. I will be wherever the science Twitter ends up. Go to whatever platform of choice, type the words Hori Bat into the search bar, and then I'm sure that'll take you to the right place. That's literally the best <laughs> best way to find me. It, it, if you see anything Hori Bat related, it will either be from me or I will be in the comments talking about how cute it is. You're going to be adjacent. Yes. <laughs> I will have links to everything also in the episode description so that anybody listening can scroll through and click through to, you know, anywhere you can find Sofiane on social media or on the internet. I can't thank you enough for your time and your knowledge and your passion. It's so easy to get hyped for an animal when it's through somebody who's already hyped for them. You like it's easy to sort of like use someone else's hype as a jump start. That's my favorite. You know, thing. <laughs> you've already done the work and like cultivating the energy already. So yes. I don't really have to do any work in getting there, right? Like, it's already been done. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> Thank you so much for your time. It's been a delight, and we will catch you later. Thank you. I'm so thrilled to have been on this. <laughs> I am so glad to finally get to talk to you. This has been amazing. Thank you, Sofiane. Bye. Thank you so much for listening, friends. I hope that the hoary bat will be taking roost in the branches of your heart. If you liked what you heard, I hope you leave behind some kind words for us in a review on your podcast app of choice. If you want to hang out with us online, we're on Facebook, Instagram, Discord, and TikTok. Links to everything will be in the episode description. You can send me an email at ellen at justthezooofus.com if you have a cool animal you'd like to hear us talk about on the show. We'd like to thank Maximum Fun for having us in their network alongside the other wonderful shows that you heard promos for here today. You can check those out and learn more about the network and how you can be a part of supporting our show over at MaximumFun.org. Finally, we'd like to thank Louis Zong for our theme music. That's all for today. See you next week. Thanks. Maximum Fun, a worker-owned network of artist-owned shows supported directly by you.